Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to hearing the career story today of Tracy Phillips. Tracy spent, as she puts it, a lifetime with New Zealand police. She's been involved in everything from dog handling to search and rescue to police horse training to police professional conduct and as an area commander for Te Tai Tokoro. She's also been a highly influential LGBTIQ plus ally and advocate within the police. In 2018, she was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to the police and the community. Early in her career, she also won a bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games high jump. In 2019, Tracy left the police to join the SPCA as their general manager inspectorate, looking after investigations and resolutions. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Tracy's career journey today. Kia ora, Tracy, and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, thank you for the invite, Anna. You're welcome. Tracy, one of the questions I like to start with as part of these interviews is taking you back to when you were a child or a teenager. What were some of your thoughts then about what you wanted to do or be when you grew up? Oh, look, I didn't have a clue, but it needed to be exciting and it needed to have uh, variety. And I went through school thinking, oh, I might do this, I might do that. I wanted to be an air hostess when I was a little kid because I thought that was super glamorous. And then I saw what air hostesses actually did and thought it's not glamorous at all, cleaning up behind people who were sick on planes and uh, grew probably too tall to successfully walk down planes without being my head on the roof anyway. Yeah, so I didn't know what I wanted to do as a child. And so when I finished at school, I went on to university because I still didn't know what I was going to do. And when I finished university, my mother said, you need some discipline in your life. And I wouldn't recommend either the army or the police. And the army looked like a whole bunch of hard work in the mud. So I joined the police. <laughs> I like that. The, uh, the, the, divide, the deciding factor was the mud factor. From all the people I've spoken to, most people don't really know much what they want to do when they're growing up and it takes a little while to, to find it. So what was it then about the, you know, you said your mum thought it might be a good idea in terms of the discipline. What was it for you that maybe captured your interest about joining the police? Well, I did. I had a friend who was dating someone in the police and went out for a ride-along with them in Wellington, and that was in the olden days before it was compulsory to do ride-alongs. And, yeah, it was the sense of belonging to something bigger and doing things for the right reason, being on the good guy's side, appealed to me. Plus the idea of car chases and, and things. I had no idea how much paperwork that you had to do. And so it just looked like an exciting, let's get out there and have a great old time and do stuff on the good guy's side kind of role. And what they don't show you on TV is that half your day is spent writing everything up and doing the paperwork. That's right, you get faster at typing. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. And those first few years then of joining the the police, what were some of the highlights, but also some of the challenges then? Highlights for me was, uh, uh, I've got to start with the challenges maybe, because the challenge for me was I started work in Lower Hutt. And I'd never, ever been to Lower Hutt in my life. And there were simple challenges like being able to find your way around. And Lower Hutt's a little bit of a 
a complicated place to work because you've got about four bridges over a railway line and you really need to know your way around. So invariably, I was last to every job, didn't know the names of the streets, didn't have a nav man, couldn't look things up on my phone because no one had phones. And um, so the biggest challenge was finding my way to actual jobs and loved the law. So I really enjoy legal debates. Some people say I enjoy debate whether I believe in what I'm arguing or not, but loved the law and I liked, really liked getting good outcomes for victims. And you don't always get that, but making a difference to someone's life, it sounds a little cheesy and altruistic. When you get it right and someone's life is better as a result of what you've done, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. And I think it's a lot of us is what we strive for somehow in our, in our work, to just make a positive difference somewhere to somebody's life. So to be able to do that mm. for a number of people is, um, as, I, as you say, I can imagine, really rewarding. And when did the athletics fit in? I was interested to see how did you fit in, whether it was training or how did, you, um, how did that sort of fit into your life? Uh, when I was a young kid, mum and dad used to take all of us kids to athletics to the old track and field at Cook's Gardens in Wanganui. And um, I used to come third all the time. I'd run in the races and come third, go in the throwing events, come third, go in the jumping events, come third. And I, so I didn't think I was very good. And um, anyway, I would get dragged off to track and field to come third all the time. And sometimes I used to think I was a horse and I used to actually canter up the 100 metres <laughs> just for fun. And said to my mum, look, why do you make me keep going to athletics? And she said, actually, it's because you're quite good. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't ever win. And I didn't know that with young kids, it's actually those kids who come third who get beaten a bit are the ones that do often, if they persevere with it, come through and actually do a bit better. Mum made me keep going and it was good for me to do sport and hang out with other people. And uh, then, of course, I got a bit taller when I was in my mid-teens and started high jumping which I actually found a little bit dull. So I used to do all sorts of other events as well, doing the hurdles, the sprinting, throws events and things, and then went on to become a heptathlete because I didn't have the attention span to simply just do high jumping. So I had a coach that I actually met when I was in Greece who said, you're bored high jumping, eh? And I was like, yeah. She said, why don't you do heptathlons, which actually improved my high jumping because it kept the interest factor up. So, yeah, I hit a certain age, hit a certain height and um, suddenly became a high jumper. Mm, and it's really interesting. I know that the current UK heptathlete, Katerina Johnson-Thompson, she's also an amazing high jumper mm. too. You can see oh. how those the long legs help for the height, helps for so many of the other events as, as well. And if you're a good high jump, you score huge points. Ah. Yeah, if you can do a good high jump, you can get some massive points. And if you can high jump, you can usually run fast as well because yes. high jump is a conversion of forward speed into upward. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And how was it then going to the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, I went to the Commonwealth Games in 1990 in February and that was just before I joined the police. And um, to be fair, I went into the Commonwealth so I thought I was a bit lucky to have actually even been selected. So you're allowed three people from each country in an event and I think I was the third selected person to go to the Commonwealths and went into those 1990 Games ranked 11th. was pretty stoked when I thought I'd come sixth. And... Um, actually withdrew from the competition, really stoked that I'd done a personal best and quite pleased with myself. Hadn't realised on the count back I'd actually come third. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was a bit of a surprise when the chief judge, who was actually my father, so he had pretty good seats, uh, came across and shook my hand and said, congratulations on your bronze medal, you bloody idiot. <laughs> 
wonderful story. <laughs> and he said bloody idiot too because <laughs> first, first, second, third, fourth, fifth and sixth all jumped the same height. And oh. had I stayed in the competition and cleared the next height, I would have got a gold medal. Uh, I was pretty happy with sixth. So get a, getting a third was awesome. And I like the, the story then actually how early on third was, oh, you know, gosh, I'm not that good. But actually the reality of the Commonwealth Games, third is amazing. It's a bronze medal. And yeah, yeah. so where did I get at the Commonwealth? I got bloody third, which yeah. was cool. <laughs> but I also really like the way you talked about actually sometimes it's not always a good idea to come first all the time, that actually maybe coming second, third, having to fight for it, not being the best actually makes you better in the long run. Yeah, it made me work harder. Mm. And if I had just been winning everything all of the time, I wouldn't have trained as hard and I yeah, wouldn't have had to work as hard to get things. And I think it's a good lesson to get beaten sometimes. Mm. Even though it sounds not very New Zealand, I quite enjoy it when all blacks get, get beaten because I think it makes them work harder and train harder and it makes it more interesting. Uh, probably true. I think it just avoids that kind of complacency or perhaps sense of arrogance that can, can slip in that means that somebody else can sneak past you. So yeah, great point. Mm. And then coming back to your police career, you had obviously a wide variety of roles, which just, um, again, maybe it was that kind of the excitement, the variety, the, the, the nature of the heptathlon as well. What were some of the roles that you enjoyed the most? The best job in the world, without a doubt, is um, being a dog handler. So that is just it's so much fun. And there's real highs and real lows with it as well. You get your dog and hope that you gel with it. And if you don't, you maybe get a different dog. And uh, yeah, you get to go on the most amazing, cool adventures all over the place. So I was one of the first people who did a search and rescue course with my dog. And I got to travel around the country and do some pretty cool stuff and meet some pretty cool people. Learned how to repel out over the top of a building, jump out of helicopters with my dog go down cliff faces, find people that were lost and missing in the bush and things like that. It was very cool. As well as chasing down bad guys, jumping fences and, and doing all that stuff. That certainly sounds like the bit that when you said, oh, I'm going to join the New Zealand police for excitement, that certainly sounds like uh, that, that, that role certainly delivered on the excitement factor. Tracy, when you joined the police, and I know it's become a much more, more open place to be, but probably women are still in the minority in terms of the police force, from my understanding. Were there any particular challenges or obstacles that you faced as a woman in your career? Yes, yeah, I've never thought about the fact that I'm a woman. I just think I'm a person doing a job. And the police is pretty good now. We're close to being 50-50 male and female, um, which is quite different to the SPCA, which is about 89% women. So that's been a little bit of a culture shock for me. But yeah, when I joined the police, it wasn't quite so many women. And when I wanted to become a dog handler, there was no women dog handlers at all. And I know when I sat down for my initial interview with the uh, commissioned officer before joining the police, and he said to me, what do you want to do when you've been in the job for a couple of years? And I said, oh, look, I'd quite like to be a dog handler. That looks like fun. And he just sat there and laughed and laughed. And I had no idea what was quite so funny about that until I joined the police and realised there were no women dog handlers. And when you look at the strength and the ability of men compared to women, there's not that much of a difference. Mm. And I remember going in for an interview or going in to see the, the chief dog trainer at that time in Wellington and saying, I really want to be a dog handler. And, and he looked quite condescendingly at me and said, we're trying to... Because in the past, the dog section was a really macho kind of rugby playing blokey kind of a thing. And he said, oh, we're trying to smarten ourselves up so maybe you do some university papers 
you'd need to be quite strong. So you probably need to go to the gym and you need to be able to run and you need to be able to lift your dog up and throw it over a fence. And for goodness sakes, even a heavy German shepherd would weigh 50 kilos. Mm. And at that stage, I was uh, squatting 180 kilos and bench pressing more than my own body weight. So I thought I could lift up a 50 kilo dog. So he told me all these things that he thought I needed to do. And I already had a university degree at that stage. So he hadn't done his homework on who I was. And at the end of that conversation, he said, and as long as I'm here, there'll be no women on dog section. Oh, goodness. So So, how did you overcome or how did you cope with that? I I looked at him and thought, I've got nothing much to lose here. And uh, and I said, you look pretty old. When do you go? And um, yeah, it turned out he was leaving within the year. So he left and the next guy was a little bit more open-minded. And I certainly didn't get the first dog job I applied for. But I got the second one and there was 24 applicants. And I recall saying to the new senior sergeant on dog section, hey, before I accept this job, and I don't think he'd ever had anyone say that because they're hard jobs to get. I said, before I accept this job, what's your career plan and things? And he said, oh, I want to go and run a pub in Kaitai when I'm finished and I'm not here forever. And my motivation is simply not to be the first dog section in the country to have a woman. He said, you got the job because you were the best person for it. I like it. That's a great story. But yeah, there was a little bit of resistance. Some of the dog handlers said, oh, if we have to get a zip that goes all the way around to the back on our overalls, I'm going to leave. And none of them left. Some of them even coped <laughs> amicably. Good. Yeah. And I th- it sometimes is those small things, isn't it, that nobody's considered in terms of how do you make it feel inclusive and, and welcoming for people who are different? As you say, the, the things that you wear, actually, are they still appropriate for anybody to be able to, or have you got that accommodation for it? Oh, look, it made it was very difficult to undo your overalls and all your wiring and your headset and things to go go to the toilet as a woman. The men have got it way easier, I've got to say. Yes, <laughs> yes, I have three sons, and when we go on a road trip, I always feel um, very envious of them as we go along. Yeah. Look like they're looking at the scenery, can't they? They can Whereas exactly. It's kind of obvious when ladies squat down. It is. And Tracy, tell me then about if you look back at your your career in the police, what would you say were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Mostly um, working, probably the biggest challenge I had was working for a woman. I far prefer working with and for men, I've got to say. Men are a lot easier because they say what they think. They have the little tantrum and then they get over it and move on. Unfortunately, women will quite often know we've got to look out for each other, we've got to support each other, and they do the exact opposite. So that's been one of the biggest challenges was actually working for a, a woman boss that I had. And how did you cope with that? I'd like to say I coped really well with it, but it was a huge challenge. And yeah, it was a woman boss that had previously worked for me, and then she became my boss. So that, that was a huge challenge. Yeah, really tough. Mm. Really tough because, like I say, with men, they'll say what they think and you know exactly where you stand. With women, that's quite often a lot trickier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. And turning it around the other way, if you look back at your your career in the place, what were some of your proudest moments, your, your career highlights there? Oh, look, there's been so many cool things that we've uh, done and that you get opportunities to do that you don't imagine. So I uh, did a project in the cells at Counties Manukau where I had a look at actually what, these, what was the environment like for the prisoners. 
And we're not in the business of punishment. We simply hold people for court and, and then the courts decide on punishment. So did a project with, he's now Deputy Commissioner John Timms, supported me on and we painted the cells up and we had artists do work in there and we set up a library in there. We changed the food and went to a lot towards changing the mindset of the staff from a sort of a prison warden mentality to actually these are people and we need to look after people differently. So I was really proud of that. Really enjoyed my work that I did as an ally with the Rainbow Communities. Met some amazing, really cool people who I still keep in touch with today, even though I've left police. Yeah, good. Anything else? Because you said there were so many. I wonder if there is any others that you wanted to share. Those two were wonderful. Oh, look, there's things that you do all the day, all the time in any job where you just know that you've made a real difference to that person's life, where you've treated them perhaps differently to a previous interaction they've had with an authority figure and you've restored their confidence in, in police and in authority by just treating them differently and treating them professionally and like humans and maybe getting someone out of a bad relationship. Sometimes they go on to the next bad relationship, but sometimes they get the support to go, actually, I can do things differently and better. So, yes, so many things. The first time I saved someone's life doing a search and rescue uh, mission, and that was before we'd had the search and rescue training, went up looking for a guy who was suicidal, and I actually thought he was dead when my dog jumped on him and said, I found him. And I was in the process of calling the Hearst when I realised actually he wasn't quite dead, so saved his life. And yeah. Just mm. things like that you do every day in the police that you go, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And then last, it was last year, you decided to leave the police and move to the SPCA. What prompted that decision? Oh, look, a friend of mine saw the advertisement for this job in the SPCA and said, why don't you apply for this? I think you'd be great. I don't know if the SPCA still think I'm great or not, but I'm still there. And I'd gotten to the point in my career where I would either have to leave Auckland and go to Wellington, and I was actually quite like living in Auckland. I didn't think I'd say that, but quite like living in Auckland, want to stay here, and there wasn't a lot of promotion opportunities. Maybe I'd hit the top of the glass ceiling and thought, maybe it's time to do something different. And my partner said to me, what else do you need to prove? What else do you want to do in the police? And when I realised that actually I've had a really cool career and you should go out while you're on top, and started a new challenge with the SPCA. And it sounds like obviously from the dog handling, but also when, when we spoke just before we started recording, you said you've been on a lovely long horse ride at the, the weekend. I'm guessing that you enjoy animals and have, a, have quite an affinity there. Yeah, animals are great. They don't talk back. They're really good listeners and um, they're really intuitive too. And that's why I love my time on dog section. I had the best partner in the world. It was a little noisy at times, never told on me when I got things wrong or when I got lost. So yeah, I have a horse that I've had since he was three. He's now 17, um, that's 17 years ago, he's now 20. And he is the best form of yoga and meditation that I can have. I jump on him, I escape from everything. And it's not a gentle, quiet ride around the place. It's usually thundering around at 100 miles now, jumping over fences and having a great old time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really love the animals. And we have dogs in the office. We're at the national or head office at New Lynn and dogs come in during the day if you like, you can grab a dog and take it for a walk if you want to have some time out of the office. Mm. So it's a pretty cool environment. Very cool environment. Really cool. And how was it making the transition from having a long career within one organisation to then moving to a different organisation? 
Yeah, so the biggest challenge for me was thinking, what the hell am I going to wear today? Going from close to 30 years in the police wearing the same thing every day, those stunning blue trousers that make any policewoman's bum look great, to actually I now get to wear clothes and thinking, does this go with that? And so that was the biggest challenge for me. Uh, then learning people's names, because I'm not great with names. But because it's a transition across to investigations and around the inspectorate, it is around same sort of stuff, investigations, how do we do stuff, how do we make sure that we engage with our witnesses, our victims, how do we get a positive experience and the right outcomes for the animals and working with people. So I'm saying but different. Yeah, the both roles I can imagine have been quite involved in terms of the challenges that you might come across, people's lives, animals' lives. How do you find balance between work and your non-work life? <laughs> so the, the balance is my... Um, you know, you turn off your computer and you have your weekends are precious. My phone's always on, so if an emergency does come up, then I can deal with it and I'd prefer that. But yeah, my balance is very much around having good friends, good food, and um, being able to go horse riding. That's my kind of meditation yoga time because I'm not a good person for sitting still and breathing exercises. I need that excitement and that rush and that take your brain to a completely different place and be able to empty it out. And when you're doing probably close to 60 kilometres an hour on a horse, you have to have a pretty empty brain and not be thinking too much because you need to stay on. So, Yes, absolutely. And, you know, what I like about that is a lot of people do sort of somehow think, oh, yes, well, balance means stopping, calming down, you know, as you say, breathing or whatever it might be. But actually, for a lot of people, balance is just doing something else that's fully involving and engaging that they love doing that completely takes their mind off and themselves away from it. I like, yeah, I can imagine yeah. 60 kilometres on an hour on a horse. Absolutely. There's not much else you can think about at the time. <laughs> That's why we go to the movies and things, isn't it? You go and escape your reality. And I'm not into drugs, never have been. I don't even take paracetamol. So, yeah, go to the movies, you have a little bit of escapism into another world or another thing, and you just turn off. Simple as that. And where do you see your career heading in the future? That's a good question. I've got a lot of work to do with the SPCA. And having said that, I was delighted to arrive in SPCA and be working with some really amazing people who had already got underway with some really good work. So I've got a fairly small team, but they are sharp. They are really good and they've done some really good work to set things up. And when you're trying to attract investigators and people think of SPCA as, oh, you know, it's all kittens and puppies, but the investigating arm is not all lovely kittens and puppies. It's animals with mange, starving, emaciation, people who can't afford to look after them, sometimes ignorant people, sometimes arrogant people. And yeah, so really enjoying coming up with a really cool plan to help upskill our people to make them the best that they can be. Yeah, but yeah, amazing team that I'm working with. So yeah, I've got a lot of work in front of me to get a really good inspectorate running. And they are good now. I just have I have plans to make them amazing or more amazing than they are. Mm. But yeah, really good people who are driven and want the right outcomes for animals and want to be good at their job. And there's a lot of tools and a lot of things that we can just sharpen them up on that'll make them even better. And so taking real pleasure from every so often sneaking out of the office and jumping in the car and going out and seeing how our staff do their job and coming along to jobs with them. Went out about two weeks ago and went to an amazing place that had gypsy van of horses on. So I had a great old time wandering around there and you meet some amazing people and you 
do some cool stuff. And But yeah, it's just very much about developing our people to be as good as they can be. Mm, yeah, I can see that. And that work like police never stops. Mm. Um, you never get to the point where you go, right, everyone in New Zealand is treating their animals well and looking after them. Same as police, you never win. Mm. You aim to win and get everyone behaving themselves and treating everybody well and things, but you accept that you're not always going to win that one. You're right. I like that analogy to the police and saying, actually, look, it's not always, we're never going to get it 100% perfect. But actually, if it can be a little bit better, then then that's what we can work towards. Yeah, great. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to aim for best. I mean, you've got to aim, like the police, you've got to aim for zero road deaths. Mm-hmm. You've got to aim for domestic violence being wiped out. That's what you've got to aim for. And Tracy, tell me, have you got any career advice for other, even girls or other women, that you would want to share? Yeah, very simply, my advice to anyone is when an opportunity comes up, take it. Always take opportunities and create your own opportunities. Get, and I'm not great at this myself, get seen by the right people. So if you have a good idea, and I had this when I was a sergeant uh, working in Wanganui, I had this idea because I had been asked to return some property for a deceased girl. So she'd been in a car, gone over a cliff uh, in the Wanganui River over the Paraparas, and we hadn't found the body, but we'd found some items of her um, personal belongings. And someone said to me, oh, can you take this and give it back to the family? And uh, my grandmother lost her husband when I was three and she waited her entire life for him to come home and it's really hard when you don't have a body. So someone gave me a rubbish bag with this property in for this girl who we believe had died by drowning and as I was driving this bag back to the family, I thought this is rubbish. Literally, it's in a rubbish bag and what an awful way to take something back. So I stopped off and I bought a nice box and a card and some savouries and, and things and took it around to the family and thought, well, we can do better than just returning property in a rubbish bag. So I wrote to the commissioner that night and I didn't even know quite how to address him because I'd never ever written to the commissioner before and I wasn't sure what to do. So instead of saying, dear sir or dear commissioner, I just said, I've had an idea and this is what happened today and this is what I think we should do and this is how it should be done better. And because I wrote to him at night time, it didn't get... Um, weeded out by his EA and he wrote back and he said that's a great idea get in touch with this person and make it happen so we started a whole project about returning property to people in a more respectful and professional way and then when the district commander was looking for someone to do something he went oh that crazy Tracy Phillips she wrote to the commissioner and she came up with this idea so it just made people think about me and I got opportunities started to present themselves because I'd created something in that space so Every opportunity that came up, I took. And as you get opportunities, you get more opportunities and you get seen by more people and more people start to think about you and and take you on. So when you get those opportunities, take them, work your butt off and get more opportunities. Great. And I love that story that you told, Tracy, and it just highlights for me almost the the power of, if you're trying to make something different, the power of using a story to be able to influence and a, and a real life, you know, a real life story rather than necessarily the facts or the strategies or whatever it might be, but actually making it real. Thank you for sharing it. We can do the same thing that we've always done or you can go, can we do better at this? And invariably the answer is we can always do better. 
most organisations are storytelling organisations. You can give people all the statistics in the world or you can say, here's a story about something that's real and people get it. Mm. They do. They get it much more quickly and it touches that, it touches, you know, the kind of head and heart piece, doesn't it? It touches the heart alongside the head, which is so important. Tracy, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. And thank you for sharing a, a whole range of stories from your career, which I found fascinating and inspiring as well. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.